My name is Pat. I'm one of the pastors here at Cottonwood. It was about eight years ago, I think it's eight years, that we moved out of town. I'm getting some nods from my family. That's where I always look if I need some like statistical analysis and confirmation about a story. Um, but about eight years ago, this October, we moved out of town a few miles to have a couple of acres. And it was pretty quickly after we moved out of town that one friend asked us, and then another friend asked us, and another acquaintance asked us, are you going to get animals? Are you going to, I mean, you have room now? Is that like part of the vision? And I, I wasn't really part of the vision, I, exactly. I, at least I hadn't seen that part of the vision. Um, oh, but chickens are so easy, we're told. Like, it's just really no problem. You just, it, you just have a little bit of space. They really are very adaptable. It's really not a lot of work. Now, if you've never raised animals like that, you're probably thinking, sounds like a lot of work. I actually can't imagine it being all that simple. That's, that's pretty much what I was thinking at the time. And so I was like, I don't think so. We're probably not going to do that. Honestly, I probably knew about as much about growing chickens as I did about drilling for oil. Probably about the same, about the same amount of knowledge. Well, this morning I went out and fed our chickens that we're raising for meat. We have about 60 of those. Next to them is another coop. It's about 30 laying hens. And inside are the next round of 30 pullets. So, yes, you can count, right? We have over 100 chickens right now. Does that sound crazy? Yes, it does. I had a friend here, Peter, who raised like a couple hundred chickens. I thought, you're crazy. Only crazy people raise that many birds or animals of any kind especially when you know about as much about raising them as drilling for oil. Well, how did I get from really being more than hesitant to consider this option eight years ago to now being a crazy chicken man? Like, what are, how do you get from one to the other over the course of years? Well, I'll tell you, it's pretty simple. First of all, you say, okay, I'll give it a try. And you probably get a little education. You might buy a book. I'm more of like a book guy than a YouTube guy, but I did both. Like read a couple books, did some YouTubing, went over to my friends who have chickens. Uh, I guess it doesn't look like too much work, kind of a lot outside of my comfort zone, but okay, we'll give it a try. And then you just take it one step at a time. That's it. Just keep taking another step. You might decide, yeah, it's not for me. Quit. Or maybe you decide, actually like we did a few years ago. Yeah, raising chickens isn't too hard. We had chickens for eggs for a while. I had helped butcher some chickens. I think maybe we could figure out how to do that. So we said, we'll try that. And I think we've had up to like 100 chickens for meat in the past. We don't raise that many right now. You just give it a try. Take it one step at a time. And I actually think it's sort of similar when it comes to growing spiritually the statement this morning that I'm asking us to ask, do you really believe, do I really believe that you and I can grow spiritually? Now, at some point in your life, I know maybe in your adult life, whether you grew up in the church or not, you might be wondering, like, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to grow spiritually? And so you have to kind of like, what does it even look like to have a chicken? I don't know. It's sort of like way out there. I know about as much about growing spiritually as I do about drilling for oil. I don't, it just, it's not in my area of understanding. Well, you, 
the same thing for if you want to grow spiritually or figure out how to do it, it really comes down to sort of the similar steps. You have to be willing to give it a try, and then you just take it one step at a time, one small step at a time. There wasn't a time when I really wasn't sure. There was a time when I wasn't really sure if I could grow chickens. You might be in a place where you're not really sure if you can grow spiritually. And you might have different reasons for that. Maybe you have been growing spiritually for a while, but right now you're stuck. Or at least you feel stuck. Maybe you have been close to God at different points in your life, and you can actually remember a time not too long ago when you were, but right now it's been actually longer than you can really recall when you have felt or sensed his nearness to you. Maybe you started out well on your Christian journey, your spiritual walk, but you've gotten off track. Maybe you've made some mistakes, and maybe shame, like we talked about in one of our songs, actually maybe shame over what you'd see as messing up is causing you to be disconnected from God. Maybe growing spiritually just sounds, and maybe it always has sound like a good idea, but sort of in the category of mysterious or mystical, I'm not really sure how to go about that. Or it's too complicated, or it's too hard, or I tried it once, but it didn't work for me. There could be a lot of reasons for that. My prayer this morning is that you might find some encouragement in this verse that we're going to look at. It's in Acts chapter 2. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Now Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pretty much tell the same story. They're different accounts of Jesus' life while he was on earth. His life, his death, his resurrection are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Different elements of the story, different, some, a lot, there's a lot of overlap, but there's different details told by these men who witnessed or are named for, like the book of Mark, a lot of people believe that was actually Peter's gospel, and he shared with a man named Mark who wrote it down for him. A lot of people believe that. I tend to believe that. But a lot, these are like firsthand accounts of Jesus' life. Now, the book of Acts is also written by the man named Luke who wrote the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was detail-oriented, and he wanted to collect an account of Jesus' life first that was accurate. He interviewed people. He talked to people, recorded their stories and then the book of Acts is actually, he, Luke himself is in the book of Acts because he travels with Paul at one point. And he wants to tell the story of what happened after Jesus rose again, talks to his disciples, and then ascended into heaven. And then what happened to the, early, the first church, the 12 disciples and the people who believed because of what they shared? That's what the book of Acts is about. In Acts chapter 2, it's, it's the second, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So this is right at the beginning of this. Acts chapter 2 records our verse for today, which is, it really records what the first people who believed in Jesus because of those apostles who shared about Jesus did. Acts 2.42, some of you, this will be super familiar, others of you not as familiar, says this. They, this is describing the group of people, I'll tell you a little bit more about the group in a second, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now the context, like I said, it's right after Jesus died and rose again, and what happened is a prayer meeting happened after Jesus ascended into heaven hundred or so, a little bit more, something like that, were gathered together. They were praying, and then the Holy Spirit came, 
and rested on them. And Peter, one of those men, part of what he did in response to receiving the Holy Spirit is he went out and he started sharing about Jesus in a big crowd because Jerusalem, where they were, there was a lot of people around for a festival for the Jewish faith. They were still there, people from all over the region, all over the Middle East. That's where Christianity started, was in the Middle East. And there are people from all these different countries. And he starts sharing. And what happens is, so let's just imagine, I guess the prayer meeting would have been, let's just say, give or take the size of us this morning. We're, we're a little under 115 here, something like that. So we're all praying together, and then somebody decides to stand up and preach. I'll just pretend I'm Peter since I'm preaching this morning. And there's all these people around, and so you're with me, and then I start preaching, and all these people, and now 20 times the number of people that we are, they all decide we want to follow Jesus too, like all of a sudden, 3,000 people. All of a sudden decide we want to follow Jesus as well. They're from all these different countries. Now, some of them probably went home. I'm sure there were locals in Jerusalem, a part of that crowd. Many of them actually did go home to where they were from all over the area, all over the region. They spoke all kinds of different languages. But what happened to the group that decided to stick around in Jerusalem for sure is this, that's that's the group that's the they in this verse. They, the disciples, the 150, and those who put their faith in Jesus, this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's four items listed there that they were devoted to, but I want to talk about the word devoted for a second first so that we have a clear understanding of what exactly they did with these four practices. The word devoted, actually, I really like the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Translation tries to include some of these words that are significant in the New and Old Testament actually have like a pretty broad range of definition. And usually we, define, we, we pick one of those words and we use the word devoted. But there's actually a sense in the Amplified Bible that says this, that helps us understand what it really meant, is they were continually and faithfully devoted. In other words, they took some effort and time and persistence to stay devoted to these things. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to these four practices. And so here's the first spiritual growth secret I'll share with you. It's not one of my main points this morning. But to grow spiritually, which if you read the rest of Acts, I'm giving you a big assumption. Because what happens in the rest of Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way to 28, is you see people, indi- people individually growing spiritually, doing things that are pretty wild and outside of their comfort zone and God using them to create a bigger circle of influence and more people begin following Jesus because of it. And really the rest of the New Testament is sort of a record of how these people and those who also began to follow Jesus because of their influence grew spiritually. So I'm not going to get into all that to make the case for that. The New Testament stands on its own. You can read it for yourself. But here's the spiritual secret. To grow spiritually, you really need to be willing to have a pattern of continuing to do some of the same things over and over. The continually and faithfully devoting themselves or committing themselves to this, it, it, that's actually a part of how you grow spiritually. And that makes sense. It's really how you grow anyhow. You want to grow physically, you want to get stronger, you want to get in better shape, you have to continually and faithfully do some things to do that. 
You want to expand your intellect or your mind, what you know and understand, you have to continually and faithfully give yourself to learning new things in a subject, right? So that makes sense. That's pretty natural. Galatians 6 describes it this way. The Apostle Paul, who is mentioned later in the book of Acts, he says, don't get tired, don't get weary of doing what is good. And I like that encouragement because that's what's a problem, right? Like, who, who has, who took the summer off of exercise like I did? Good for you. I'm the only one. I mean, I moved a little bit, but compared to like the previous four months, I was moving a lot more, actually. I mentioned being sore because I'm trying to get back to it last week or the week before. It actually takes effort because the momentum is to kind of let things go, to sort of slow down, to sort of just, I'm kind of tired this morning, I'm not going to go, or I don't really feel good, or it really hurt last time, I don't want to do that again. Don't get tired of doing what's good. That's a spiritual secret. If you just walk away from that this morning, that would probably be enough to make this morning helpful for you. But I'll share a few more things. Here's my main points this morning. You and I can grow spiritually if we devote ourselves, and remember, devote means continually and faithfully, to several practices, and here they are. The first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I'm going to change the phrase for a minute, and I'll defend why I'm changing it. Devote yourself to the scriptures, the Bible, the Old and New Testament. Um, It says the apostles' teaching, but why I'm saying changing it to the scriptures is because what the church had at that time, followers of Jesus had at that time, is they had live people who had spent time with Jesus and passed on to them what they had learned from him. Now, we have that too, but those people are dead. Thankfully, they wrote some of those things down. This is actually the record that we have that's been faithfully passed down that we can rely on. And so scriptural teaching by those who had actually been been with and followed Jesus for years is what they devoted themselves to. I actually think the early church would love to have had what we have. They probably would have to learn how to read it because probably many of them didn't know how to read or write, um, which is the case in lots of different parts of the world. But thankfully, most of us do, and we have that record. And giving ourselves to what's recorded there about what Jesus taught from the people who spent the most time with him is really what, how we can grow spiritually. And it's, it's enti- it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The reason that they got together, this, this teaching was actually a really core part of why they gathered. There were other reasons that we'll talk about, but this is actually listed first. And usually, when things are listed in the Bible, not always, but oftentimes there's an importance connoted to those lists, unless it says otherwise. Oftentimes, oftentimes the, the, the most important things are listed first. Um, all of these are important, but the reason what really the, the reason that they that, that this the reason how this group of people gathering together and devoting themselves to the apostle teaching was different is what was taught was different from other gatherings. Most of these people were Jewish and they had gatherings and they taught from the Old Testament, but what was added to their gathering was teachings that connected with what Jesus said. Devoted yourself, does it sound intimidating to continually and faithfully devote yourself to the Bible, to the scriptures? Like what, in your practical everyday life, what do you think that looks like? Do you always have a Bible with you? Do you read it like you open it every hour? 
Like, is it a certain amount of time every day? Is it a certain number of chapters every day? Like, what do you think that looks like? Actually, to me, it sounds like really overwhelming. Like, and I'm a pastor. This is actually part of my job is to read and understand this. And it's still a little overwhelming for me to think about devoting myself to f- continuing faithfully to anything. It's, it's overwhelming. That's, I, don't, I don't do a lot of things because I don't want to be devoted to that. It's a little overwhelming. Well, it's sort of like if my friends had been like, hey, Pat, chickens aren't a problem. You should just go buy 100. It'll work out. It wouldn't have worked out. <laughs> I can tell you it wouldn't have worked out. And whatever you might imagine devoting yourself to the scriptures look like, if that is something that's overwhelming to you, probably what your next step is is not that thing, like an hour a day or 14 chapters a day or once an hour I look at my Bible, read my Bible. It's actually probably something a little smaller. So let me tell you a story. I had a friend here many years ago, and we would meet together on occasion with a couple other guys and trying to encourage each other, talk through what was challenging in our lives, what was going well, what we needed prayer for. And he expressed some, like, he really wants to grow, but he had a really hard time, like, consistently, like, reading his Bible. We talk about it, different ideas here or there. Well, one day I was at a Christian bookstore, back when we used to have one of those, and they sold books in stores, which I don't know if they do that anymore, but back then they did. And I was getting a few books. I can't remember why I was there. But on the checkout, I think it was as I'm checking out, there's like a little stack of books. So it's sort of like the impulse buy version of the Christian bookstore. It's like a really cheap, skinny little book, you know, instead of candy. Although I think they have candies there too, like cross-shaped mints and stuff like that. There was like a little book that was like one-minute devotionals for busy dads. Now, my friend was a busy dad. I opened it up, and I was like, yeah, you, you actually can read this in about a minute. It's like one verse, little paragraph, prayer or something at the end. That was it. I was like, oh, I'll get, grab this. Maybe that'll be helpful to my friend. I grabbed it and said, hey, you know, this isn't like a big pressure. It wasn't like inspired by the Holy Spirit. Like, this is the book for your friend. It's going to change his life forever. Buy it and give it to him before the end of the day. I just, it was just kind of like an impulse buy, you know. I grabbed that instead of the cross-shaped mints. And uh, so I gave it to my friend. And uh, a little while later, a couple years later actually, I don't remember talking about it at all, but I remember him, like he, he started to grow. Um, actually, several years later, he was helping leading some, leading some significant ministries here at our church. And, uh, and it turns out, that God used that impulse by book to get him on a journey to being in God's word, spending one minute a day. And he figured out how to do that most days during the week. And then it was every day. And actually, maybe I think I can do a little bit more than that. And maybe actually I can start memorizing a couple of just one minute. And that might be your step is one minute that you haven't normally spent in the word would be more than you are spending right now. And that actually might be what God uses to help you Grow spiritually where you're at right now. Now, again, don't think you have to read that one minute and expect that you're going to be leading major ministries in the church and teaching other people. Otherwise, you'll get overwhelmed and you won't even start. Just do the one minute because that's what God's step is for you today to express a little more devotion to the Scriptures. Okay, that's the first practice is they were devoted to the Scriptures. Now, I'm going to give you one other observation about chickens since I've been around them for a number of years now, about a half a dozen or so. And here's the observation. 
is that the, the phrase, birds of a feather flock together, is true. That's a true phrase. Now, once in a while, once in a while, this time of year, you'll start to see some migration happening, probably in a month or so, and there'll be a few ducks flying with a few geese. That happens once in a while. But for the most part, birds of a feather flock together. They stick together. And chickens are made to be in a flock. And they're not actually all that nice to each other all the time. It's nice if you're the boss chicken at the top of the pecking order, which is also very real, a very real pecking order. You can come to my house right now, and you can look at all my laying hens, and you will know which chicken is at the bottom of the order. You want to know why? Because they got no hair on their head. They've literally been pecked too often. It's sad. It really is sad. However, that's just how they figure out the order. Can I, can I also tell you something else? That, that chicken with no hair on her head, she's like a black chicken, and then her red hair really sticks, her red skin sticks out. You know, it's kind of red up there like the comb. She does not want to be alone. I could take her out and put her in her own little coop, and she'll be way more unhappy, way more unhappy than she's just with her chicken friends, and she has her spot at the bottom of the pecking order. Because you know what's going to happen if I take her out? It's going to be a new hen with no hair on the back of her head. It's just, it's ugly truth. I'm sorry to say that. I know there's some frowns and some sadness about that. It's really sad. Don't raise chickens if you don't want to be a little bit sad. Or, or become calloused like me. <laughs> chickens were made for companionship. Are you a chicken? No, not in that way. But you're made for companionship as well. You were made for companionship as well. Verse, the second part of Acts 2.42 says this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. When you put your faith in Christ and you become a follower of Jesus like these people had, you, you have several relationships change. First of all, God becomes your father. He adopts you into his family Jesus becomes your Savior, not just the Savior of the world, but your personal Savior. That changes. And the church, those who follow Jesus, now they become your family. You've been adopted not only by God, but now you're in the same family as all the other people that God adopted in. So you're a family. We've emphasized that pretty strongly here at Cottonwood, that we're a church family. Adoption language is really strong throughout the New Testament. So that changes. This verse, by the way, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship and not to fellowship. The is a definite article and it identifies something specific about the, the fellowship. So fellowship is a Greek word you've pro- some of you have heard before. It's koinonia. And it means fellowship, it means association, it means community, it means gathering, it means you jointly participate in something. It can have the meaning of intimate contact, like more than just casual acquaintances. But this is not just fellowship, it's the fellowship, which Luke is trying to help us understand is important. There was a uniqueness to this koinonia that actually identified them as a part of other fellowship that might happen in different parts of the world. I actually think that this aspect, this practice for the early Christians was probably easier for them to do based on their culture. 
Eastern cultures are actually much more communal. You'll notice that people that you meet that might be from an Eastern culture, so that's like across an ocean, not Europe, but all the other countries, just pick a country, tend to be more communal. The way that they do family is different. It's way more extended. Their comfortability with spending extended time with each other is longer, right? You've probably heard in America, like, the three-day rule, fish goes bad in three days, and so do visits from relatives. That's not how most of the word thinks. That's, that's only the West. That's us in America and people that come from Europe pretty much. And I'm not saying it's not true anywhere else. I'm sure there's some of that that goes on. But I actually think the communal value would made it a little bit more natural for these early followers to be devoted to the fellowship than for us in America, whose ancestors came across on a boat, separated themselves vast distances. By the time you got to North Dakota, you might see a few people a couple of times a year, but pretty much you're just trying to keep yourself and your family alive on this blizzard-driven tundra. At least that's just us in North Dakota. Obviously, that's not all of America. But the rugged individualist value that you and I tend to think by our culture, it's not bad, by the way, it's just, it just is, isn't actually, wasn't the value in Eastern cultures. They actually valued community because that's part of how they survived, is depending on each other. And I think this is actually more of a challenge than we think it is. Now, I believe we probably all know that we, probably all know that we need other people. Probably I'm not the only person who cried when they watched the movie Castaway many years ago with Tom Hanks. Did you cry? When his only f- friend, Wilson, if you haven't seen the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks is the actor. He works for FedEx. He's a really devoted employee. He's on a plane, I can't remember the reason, going across an ocean. His plane crashes. And he lands on an abandoned island and he figures out a way to live, survive for several years. He eventually does get rescued. So it's a happy ending in the end. Kinda happy. Actually, it's sort of sad too. But he gets a friend a volleyball named Wilson. It's a Wilson brand volleyball. So, of course, what are you going to call it? Wilson. He gets a mud or blood, I can't remember what it is, makes eyes and a smile. It's Wilson. He's all alone. This is like three years. And then he gets some palm fronds and gives Wilson some, like, spiky hair. And then, and, he t- and, he's, and then the movie changes. It's not just him doing stuff. He's actually talking out loud to Wilson. He has companionship. But then Wilson's gone. He gets lost. Does he float away or something when he's on the boat? He kind of like gets washed off the boat. Him and Wilson are going to try to get off the island in a boat, and Wilson gets washed away, and he is despondent. Wilson! That happens in the movie. And your tears are going down. Like I'm serious. Now, some of you are like, it's just a volleyball. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I know from some of the nods I saw that others people were crying. Because we're made for companionship. Kurt Thompson uh, is a, a, he's he's a trained psychiatrist, but he's really focused on something called interpersonal neurobiology, which is the study of how our brains are biologically wired and changed by our relationships. 
Here's what he said in his great book called The Soul of Shame. We are born into the world looking for someone looking for us. The moment you're born, you are born into the world looking for someone who is looking for you. And we never stop looking for someone who's looking for us. We're made for connection. But here's the other part. He says this later in his book. We deeply long for connection, which is to be seen, to be known, to not be rejected. But isn't this true? We are terrified of the vulnerability that's required for that kind of contact in many ways. In order for us to be devoted to the fellowship, do you know what needs to die? You know what is not, doesn't require a whole lot of vulnerability? It's having a mindset that's really thinking about my needs and what I need. Now, it's true that we're looking for connection, but in order to make it, we actually have to allow that sort of me, consumer, I'm just going to use the word consumer, mindset, to let go be in the rear view. Uh, what do I, what, what's in it for me? How does it meet my needs? Is it something that I want to do? Will it bring value to my life? Actually, koinonia, being devoted to the fellowship, is really being devoted to the group of people, not what it gives to me, but what I can bring to it, what I can bring to the fellowship. So here's an example. <clears throat> this is just one tiny little example. Being devoted to the fellowship doesn't mean coming to church every Sunday morning, although that's part of it. But if you come here on a Sunday to gather, if this is like your church home, so that won't be speaking to all of you. Some of you are visiting and kind of just checking us out. But if this is your church, let me ask you this. Usually when you get up in the morning on a Sunday, are you thinking about what I'm coming to hopefully give to somebody else? Are you thinking about what I can possibly get out of my experience gathering together? Because actually the first half would be more in line with being devoted to the fellowship. Not that you don't get anything, but being devoted to the fellowship is really the first half. Is what am I coming to give? What am I coming to offer? What am I coming to offer to somebody else? And of course, if that's kind of our mentality on Sundays, which I'm honestly, that's what I'm thinking about oftentimes. It's going to affect how we do that the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, right? And when it comes to being devoted to the fellowship. By the way, if you're feeling like, man, this sounds like it's pretty hard, being devoted to this stuff. We've only done two out of four. The other two will be shorter, by the way. We've only done two out of four, and it already sounds kind of like that takes a lot of energy. Let me, just, let me just take some of the pressure off, okay? Jesus' original 12 disciples were knuckleheads. Just read the New Testament. You're like, what in the world? Why is, I mean, Jesus, Jesus told Peter, I mentioned this earlier in the summer, Jesus told Peter, I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Jesus, Peter was following Jesus because he thought Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior. And Peter said, no, you don't. You're wrong, Savior. Knucklehead. <laughs> he denied him as well three times. So let me just make this statement. Jesus' original 12 disciples had learned to follow Jesus in a community, let's call it the fellowship, in a koinonia of other imperfect followers of Jesus trying to follow Jesus. 
That's the, and that's all they knew to pass on, guys, in Acts chapter 2. It's not like this is the perfection standard. This is just all that those 12 guys who, and actually there's only 11 because we know Judas betrayed Jesus. He wasn't a part of the picture at this point. But the only model they knew is like people who are basically knuckleheads doing their best to try to figure out how to follow Jesus, trying to do that with some other knuckleheads who are doing their best to try to follow Jesus, okay? So perfection is not the standard. Progress is what we're talking about just taking little steps in the right direction. So they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, to the fellowship, and then thirdly, to the breaking of bread. Again, I'll point out the breaking of bread, the is an important word. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Might have just only meant that they shared meals together. They certainly did that, because you can read the rest of Acts, and probably this breaking of bread did refer in part to the meals that they would share together, but it definitely, because it has the word the, was pointing out to the special meal that only these followers of Jesus shared together. And that is what we call communion. When we take the bread that broken reminds us of Jesus' broken body and the, the juice or the wine that they would take and drink as a remembrance of his blood, it was really a meal they would share to remember why are they even together. They were devoted to that, faithfully continually devoted to it. So I would say it's in my, now there's a lot, you can read all kinds of scholars who've studied this text like for hours and decades, probably longer than I have, and some of them will say, no, it's for sure communion, or some will say, no, it's for sure just sharing meals. I actually think my take is it's, it seems like it makes more sense to be referring to both and, not either or. That it's, it's referring to both of those. Yes, and you know the power of sharing a meal with other people, right? You can say hi and get to know people. Maybe you have a coworker or a neighbor that you get to know, and you say, hey, let's get together for a meal at a restaurant or come over to my house, and all of a sudden your relationship changes. Boom! It was at one place, and now it's somewhere else. Just because just you shared a meal, you broke bread together. They're both important. I think they're both part of their devotion. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, this is not the prayer. There's not a specific one on this list, actually. It's to prayer generally. There's a lot to be said about this. Actually, I didn't plan to share a whole lot about prayer because we are probably going to spend some time later on in this school year spending a series of messages about prayer. But just before these 3,000 Christ followers were adopted into God's family, let me remind you that they were pretty much birthed in a prayer room. They were praying together. The Holy Spirit came and spoke. They followed what the Holy Spirit led them to do, Peter, and then he he opened his mouth and 3,000 people came in. I actually don't think it was just because he spoke. I actually think it was because they were devoted to prayer. Prayer. Let me try to get you outside the box of what you might be thinking for prayer. Typically, we think about requests, what we ask God for, and that's a part of it. But it can also be worship, just telling God how what we think of him, that he is really great, that he has, like, he's the most amazing being ever because he created everything else. We can express our love to him. We can express our gratitude to him in prayer. Here's some other things that might be outside of the box. We can also be praying by being still before God, just being present with him and trying to focus on him being present with us. Prayer can be silence. Prayer can be wrestling and travailing with God. It can be work. Sometimes prayer is work. 
Sometimes it requires groaning. Sometimes actually prayer is something that we can't even say out loud because we're not sure how to express it. That's expressed in New Testament. We can pray with our words. We can also pray with our bodies. Like in the New Testament, one expression of prayer um, that's probably way outside of the box for most of us is fasting, which is choosing to not have a meal in order to turn our attention toward God and express our desire for God. Prayer is really broad. And we'll talk about it more later this year. But just for now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And these 12 disciples, let me just, let me just leave you with some hope if this is a little overwhelming. They, were in, they learned to follow Jesus being imperfect people with other imperfect people trying to follow Jesus and help each other do the same. That's what they were. They were. That's the only model they had to pass on. It's the only model they have. They passed on to us. Perfection is not the goal. Desire to try to keep on doing, continually keep at it, these practices can lead us also to experience spiritual growth in our lives. We're going to sing a song called This Is Amazing Grace. I think that's the title. At least it's about that. Go ahead and come on up, band. And I am so thankful for God's grace, even in this process, even in, in, the, in the New Testament, the early church, that these people that were trying to follow Jesus needed God's grace. They did not have it all together. I mean, you flip back, read Luke and then Acts. Luke's two, two books that he wrote in the Bible. And like what Peter was up to in the last couple chapters of Luke is like, I don't know what happened, but something changed because he's a different person at the beginning of Acts. It's wild. And I think God's grace is the difference. He experienced God's grace deeply. Let's stand. We'll pray and sing this closing song. Lord Jesus, thanks for leaving us with a legacy. You passed on the, what was most important to those guys who were kind of just stumbling and fumbling around trying to figure out how to follow you. And then you passed on enough that by the time you had accomplished your mission, you died, you rose again, you ascended into heaven, that those guys were able to pass on to us what's most important for us to be able to follow you and grow spiritually. Would bring to mind, even as we sing, what is our little next step? What's the next right thing for me to do in being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? Thanks that your grace is what empowers us to take those steps. In your name we pray. Amen.